Amen. I love the songs we sang this morning, pointing to the fact that we can look to heaven, pointing to the fact that we have a Savior, uh, we have a God who is in control. He's going to come back one day for us. We're, we're going to live in a, uh, in a, under a new heaven on a new earth, and uh, it's going to be good stuff. But until then, he's allowed us to be the light in the darkness. And as the darkness, we sang that song, the darkness is, is uh, getting darker apparently. Uh, we can shine bright. And I want to encourage you, Christian, now is the time for us to be shining the light. And again, perfect. Uh, God's timing is perfect as we study the book of Acts. And it is such a, a, an encouragement for what we should be doing in our world. Um, sometimes we, we um, can read the Bible with almost like rose-colored colored glasses on, seeing um, the stories almost as if they're fictional. But these were real people. These were real times, and there were real struggles. Uh, and, and in many ways, much more difficult, I think, than, than we have today. Um, and so we see this first church and take great examples from it. But last week we were in uh, Acts chapter 4 and we saw three points. We didn't get the fourth point. The fourth point is again going to be the first point today. Uh, but the first three points yesterday, uh, last week were there's boldness to proclaim the gospel when we're filled with the Spirit. We kind of went through the different uh, places in Scripture We'll see a little bit of that again today because we referenced uh, the, the latter part of verse uh, chapter 4 last week. But uh, it's clear whenever we're filled with the Spirit, there's boldness to proclaim the gospel. And so if we are lacking the boldness, it, it could be that we aren't walking in fellowship. We aren't filled with the Spirit and empowered with that boldness to preach the gospel or to proclaim the gospel. And so uh, point number two was there's no denying the work or the hand of God. Again, we... We saw the, the, the Sadducees and, and the council not be able to deny what God had done with this man who was uh, lame for 40 years from his mother's birth. And so uh, they couldn't say anything against it. They were struggling with what they were going to do. Um, and then number three was there are monumental consequences to our silence, both temporally and eternally. And I, I just want to say, we're going to get into that a little bit this morning, but I get ahead of myself a little bit. I really do believe that's a little bit of what we're dealing with in our nation right now. I believe that the church grew silent in comfort. I really do. I believe that a lot of us as Christians just kind of got comfortable living in this world and living in the system of the world. I'm not saying that we were uh, sinful in, in our carnality, but I think that there's a large portion of Christians in the world today that have taken on a carnal or a fleshly, a worldly mindset and just lived with that. Versus doing what Colossians chapter 3 says, setting our mind, our affection on things above, not on things of this earth. And when we get wrapped up in the world with a carnal mindset, it's, it's hard to be focused on eternal things. It's hard to be living the, the, the life we're supposed to be living, shining the light we're supposed to be shining. And that's the only thing that makes a difference in a dark world. Uh, there's, no, there's no politics or government. I mean, those things are all, all temporal. The eternal light, the power of the gospel is what changes the lives hearts of mankind and so we are left on this earth still to make a difference in the dark world in in the lives of those who are lost in their sin and on their way to an eternal destruction uh, in hell and so again we saw peter and john being thrown into the prison because they were shining light because they were preaching the gospel they were shut up for the night and the religious leaders were threatening them they, they told them don't preach or teach in that name anymore. Again, regardless of whether the miracle was obvious and clear, undeniable, these guys were threatened because it threatened their livelihood. 
Again, I, I, I can't help but make some of the parallels of what the, we're experiencing even in America today. There's some threats to certain ways of life that, are, that we're experiencing. And there, are the, there is the real threat that the church, that those who are followers of Jesus, Jesus Christ, pose to those who don't want morality, to those who don't want any type of uh, influence from God, in their mind, God, um, in their lives. And so it is getting to that point, I believe. We're getting to the verge of the point, uh, the, the, the edge of uh, that point of us being, maybe being illegal to do what we're free to do right now. I don't know how long, but uh, we, we see in their example great things. And uh, in the face of intimidation, in face of this, th- this threat, what do they do? How do they respond? I, mean, I, I want to just remind you, they didn't just have self-doubt. They didn't just have fear of their own life. They actually had a real audible threat from people who had influence. These religious leaders were the ones that had enough influence in the government to have Jesus crucified. And so even though they were off, they had, they, these guys knew this is the type of power, this is the type of influence that we're dealing with. This is the threat that they're come, uh, coming with. And the truth is this, our, our intimidation often comes from self-doubt and fear of rejection, of fear of not knowing what to say, of, of uh, fe- feeling like we're insufficient or we don't know enough or feeling you know, like we're going to lose a relationship or hurt somebody's feelings or sever ties with our best friend or with our, with our family member. We, that's what ends up controlling our boldness to share the gospel. It, it captivates us in that fear or self-doubt. But we have to know exactly what those guys knew when they were standing before that council. The same God that was with them is with us still today. And there's nothing that we have to fear. There's no doubt that should consume us, especially if we're trying to witness to someone for him. That's what God's called us to do. So he's not going to be like, oh, well, hope that you do your best, you know. That's not how God works. We are the ones that simply need to trust and obey. And God will take care of the rest. Again, we're not facing prison, not yet. These men were. And many of our brothers and sisters around the world are still. And yet they still shine the gospel. And so let's, church, let's not be silent for Christ. Let's not be part of that group of Christians, I believe in America, that are silent in their comfort. Let's be different. Let's be a church that's bold in our witness. Let's be a body of believers that says we don't care what it costs us. We're going to shine the light of the gospel. So how do these guys respond? How do they respond to this threat, this real threat to their lives, to their livelihood, to their family? How do they respond? I'm going I'm to pray, and then we're going to see exactly what happens. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do again. We thank you for allowing us to be in this place and the songs that we were able to sing and offer up. And we thank you for the, the many um, sacrifices and, and offerings that were made and the time spent for those uh, buying things and, and putting these boxes together that are going to take the gospel around the world to kids and their family. Um, Lord, we, uh, we're just thankful. Lord, we're thankful that we get to be a part of your program and uh, of getting the gospel out. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts, that our lives would be challenged this morning, uh, that we would respond to your word however uh, you want us to respond. I pray that if there's somebody here or somebody watching online that doesn't have a real, sincere relationship with you, 
because they've forsaken sin. They've turned their back on living for sin and they've surrendered their life to you in faith. Lord, they've entrusted everything to you because you died on the cross for their sins and rose again from the grave. Lord, if there's somebody that's not done that, I pray that they would do that today. And we pray that you'll be glorified now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Remember, they were just threatened. Don't preach in this name. Don't do anything in this name anymore. Peter and John, here's their response. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Oh, what, what, a, what a, a great turnaround, right? They're like, don't teach in Jesus' name. Don't preach. Don't do anything in his name. Don't speak in his name. Don't preach. Don't do anything in the name of Jesus anymore or else. And their response to that is, well, whether it's right on the side of God to listen to you more than God, you make, up, you make the call. But we can't but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What, what an amazing response. What amazing wisdom from God through Peter to these people. You decide. Should we obey God or should we o- obey man? Should we obey you instead of obeying God? You make the call. Put them in a very, very tight space if they're supposed to be re- religious leaders. But it does bring a very clear point to the surface that is our point number one. Again, point uh, number four from last week is our point number one this week. There is a real decision to make in either obeying God or man. It's a real decision that we have to make every day whether we're going to be obedient to God or we're going to follow the direction and directive of man. Whether somebody's telling us what to do by law or whether it's a system of the world, there's a lot of people, even in Christianity, that are obeying man rather than obeying God. Maybe it's because we're too busy. Maybe there's too many things, obligations, responsibilities in this world that we say, I just can't do that. Can't do what? I can't be faithful. I can't share the God. I can't do this. Again, these guys, their lives were on the line. They had already experienced prison. They got a picture of what it could be like under persecution from these religious leaders. And here at, the, at this threat, not just this worry that, well, maybe they won't like us or maybe we won't be accepted in, in culture anymore. Maybe we won't have a, a good life on this earth anymore. Not just that on the line, but a real threat from these religious leaders. You better not do this or else. And their response was, we've got a decision to make. We're either going to listen to you or we're going to listen to God. And their response was, there's no way we can't speak the things that we've experienced in our life. There's no way we can keep that in. We have to make up our mind today, church, whether we're truly living or going to live a life of obedience to God or not. Taking up our cross, sacrificing what's necessary, and living by faith. We've got to make that decision We've got to determine whether we're going to be all about living for man or even ourselves. And I think that that's, again, what we're seeing in our world today, in America today. How many Christians, how many professing believers say they're living for God but are truly living for themselves? 
I believe if the church was as determined as Peter and John were then, I don't believe that we'd be debating the issues that we're debating in our world today, and especially in America. Maybe not, but I don't believe that. Proverbs 14, 34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so the question that comes to my mind is, what, what is our sin as a nation? What, what, if, if America was, was built and raised up with a, with a fabric of morality, and that fabric of morality being based on the Word of God, and God blessing America just beyond all human perception, beyond all human conception, that there's no way that it's, 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 it makes sense that a nation as young as us is as prosperous and as powerful as we are. But you look at what the fabric of our freedom and the fabric of our nation was built on. All of our, our founding documents had the principles of morality and the principles found in, in the morality was from, they were from the Word of God. And, and, and there were founding fathers and there were leaders throughout our nation that said, if you remove that, then you begin to pull away the threads of the whole, government, of the whole nation. You start removing those, those little things of morality and pulling it out of the fabric of the nation, then it's going to fall apart. There's no question the church has had a great monumental impact. I believe God raised up America to allow the church. The reason why I believe that is because you look back 2020, 2020 right? Hindsight, 2020. So you, there's no question God has used America in a greater way for, for the gospel than any other nation. We, we've sent out more missionaries. The gospel has gone to, to more places. There have been more churches. All those things are true for our nation. And so God has used the church. But if we're battling in our own land, some of the things we're battling. And righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. What is our sin? Is it silence with the gospel? Is it worldliness? Is it selfishness? What about these words that we don't like to talk about? Covetousness. Idolatry. We think of those words like biblical words. Well, I don't have covetousness or idolatry in my life, but do we? What has stolen our allegiance to Christ? What about self? Have we have have our own lives and and, and not just when we say our lives, our own way of life, has that stolen our allegiance to Christ? Are we more devoted to ourselves, more devoted to our lives and our desires than we are to Christ? Listen to some of these statements from the, the, the Apostle Paul to believers about this very topic. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he said, For me to live is Christ. That's what my life is about, he says. I, I've no longer, I no longer have any ownership in my own life because I've laid down my life. And so for me to live is Christ. And, and honestly, to die would be great gain because there, then I receive the prize. Then I cross the line. Then I, I finish the course. I, I'm done. I, I get what it's all about when I die. I receive it. But to live... It's all about Christ. To the Corinthians, he wrote this, you do not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have of God and you're not your own. 
You're not your own. You're not your own. Why? Because you've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God. You're no longer your own. Again, God's people have been faced with a struggle and a decision of who or what they're going to submit to and who or what they're going to serve ever since the fall. We've been faced with this struggle, this decision from them. Again, go back to Adam and Eve. Adam had a choice. Am I going to follow man or am I going to follow God? Am I going to submit to the authority of God? Am I going to follow him and obey him? Or am I going to follow even what my flesh tells me to do? Pride, selfishness, and idolatry are very powerful persuaders. Man, you can get selfish, and and you get selfish, and the things of God become really, really, really relative. Well, does God really, do I really need to? Whoa, <laughs> watch out. Again, we, when we become selfish, there's a lot of things of God that we start thinking are relative, and that's not it. Paul talked about being a bondservant. Paul, t- again, said to live as Christ. I'm no longer mine. It's not about me anymore. I, I died, and Christ came to life in my life. Joshua chapter 24, very familiar scripture we all most of us probably know it says, and if, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then make the decision. You need to make a decision. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in, land, in, in whose land you dwell. But listen to Joshua's statement. Here, listen to his decision. But as for me and my house, my family, we are going to serve the Lord. That's the decision we're going to make. We're not going to serve ourselves. We're not going to serve false idols or false gods. We're not going to serve uh, idolatry. We're not going to serve anything else. But we are going to devote our lives to serving God alone. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus, echoing that. No one can serve. No man can serve two masters. It's impossible. You can only have one. You either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Again, that's the, that's the, the thing that they say makes the world go round, and, and it's the thing that uh, Jesus said in, in, in his word. Uh, the, the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Look at the world. I believe look at our nation. Why, why are we dealing? I think a large part, it's the battle money. What drives, what pulls so many Christians away from devotion to the Lord. It may not be money, but maybe it's hobby. Self. Ephesians 4. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord. In other words, there's only one master. There's only one who's supreme. One faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. Look at this. Who is above all? There, he, he cannot... Be, there's, there's no rival. He, 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 he cannot uh, share his space as God because there's only one God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. He is also the head of the body, talking about Jesus, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So it's said many times before Christ not, not only must be our Savior, but also our Lord. Some people want the, want the ticket to heaven. Some people want 
the, the covering of their sin, the forgiveness of their sin, without the submission to him every day of their life. Some people want to have that, I, I know that I know that I know because Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead. And, and, and if I believe in that, but they don't understand what that belief is. That belief is that submission, an entrustment of your life, whole life, to Jesus Christ. Romans, but if you confess with your mouth that, the Lord, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have to understand, believe, and confess. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confess, confesses and is saved. And if he is your Lord, again, by his divine nature and definition of the word, he must be Lord of all. If you say, I am saved, Jesus is my Savior and Lord, then he has to be Lord of all. That's the truth. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, as the statement goes. That's just the reality. He either governs and rules over every part of our lives or he's not Lord at all. We can't just say, well, you're Lord of, of my Sundays or you're Lord over my worship. You're Lord over my problems when I need you to bail me out. He's not like, he is Lord of all. And so when we confess him as Lord, he either is Lord of all of our life or he's not Lord at all. Again, there's a real decision to make in either obeying God or man. So I think that we need to make that decision before we're facing maybe what these guys were facing. How could we not speak the things that God has done in our life? You, you know the sin that you've committed. I know the sin I've committed. God has, in his grace, if we're Christians, saved us, covered that sin. It's been atoned for. It's been paid for. By, by his mercy and his grace, he's, he, he's, he's done all of that. And so we know how much wickedness and how much vileness that God covered in his grace, in his love, with his blood. We know that. And if we know how much God has done on our behalf, how could we not speak the things that God has done in our life? How could we not, just as Peter and John said, how could we not share that same grace and the same gospel that set us free and that forgave us of all of our sins, that gave us hope of eternal life? How could we not speak of it? So what happens after they respond? Acts chapter 21. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go. They kept threatening them, kept threatening them, made sure, you know, don't speak, don't speak, don't, don't speak. They let them go because they couldn't find any other way to punish them because of the people. What does that mean? It says, since they all glorified God for what had been done. Everybody was praising God. Everybody was, it was very clear something miraculous has, had happened. So all these guys felt like they could do was threaten them. Because the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been, perform been performed. Again, they couldn't come up with anything else because of the obvious evidence of a life change. Because of the reality. It wasn't some mystical thing. It wasn't something that they said, hey, this, this will enhance your life. Hey, you need Jesus because he'll, he just is good to have in your life. He's almost like a, 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 a rabbit foot. He's almost like some, you know, a good luck charm to have around whenever things go bad or you need him to give you more money in your life or, or you need him to fix a relationship or you need him to, to, to heal you from something. Jesus, you need him like that. No, no, no. That, that wasn't like what they were saying. They were saying, with our necks on the line, we're not going to follow you. We're going to obey Jesus Christ. 
And these, these religious leaders couldn't say anything. They couldn't do anything else because it was obvious in the evidence that something, someone had changed the life of this man. I think that we have to be devoted to this cause the same way that John and Peter were. We're called to be the light, called to be salt. And again, I, I emphasize this can't happen if we're not fully aligned with and in full allegiance to Christ. Verse 23, men let go when they went to their own companions or friends and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. Who, by the mouth of your servant David, have said, Why do the nations rage? And why? And, and the people plot vain things. And the kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. For truly, against your, ser your holy servant Jesus, who, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats again and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Wow, that's, that's an amazing response, right? They, so what happens? They, they get threat, threatened, they get more threats, and whenever they leave that council, they, where do they go? They go to, they go to gather with the, the body of believers. They go to their church family. They go there and they say, hey, church, this is what happened. We were told never to speak in the name of Jesus again. We were, never, we were told never to, to preach about the power of Jesus Christ. We were told never to do anything in his name. This is the charges we were given. Now, now remember, this is what happened. So what did the, what the church respond to? Oh, man, okay, so, so are we just going to? stay together and we're not going to share the gospel anymore we're not going to go out and do this anymore what are, what are we going to do we, we're going to hide we have to go into hiding what do they say they begin to pray with one voice they said god you made everything you have all power and in your sovereign plan from eternity past you ordained everything that just happened to jesus christ and so we know that you're in control. This is a, a paraphrase. We know you're in control. And so we are asking you, they didn't say, please protect us, deliver us. Don't allow us to go to jail. Don't allow us to be killed. Don't, don't you know, God, free the, the, the minds of, of the government officials. You know, not saying that's a bad prayer. They weren't praying that. What were they praying? They knew the command of Jesus was clear. Go ye therefore. That was their commission. That was their mission. Stay on the earth, preach the gospel to every creature so that everybody has an opportunity to be saved. So in light of that, and Jesus said, guess what? They're going to come and they're going to persecute you. You're going to be persecuted for my name's sake. You're going to be brought before councils. You're gonna, he told them all of this. So what was their response? Please grant your service boldness. Give us favor. 
to obey what you've commanded us to do. Man, I wonder if we're praying that enough as Christians today. I want things changed in our world. I want things changed in our nation for, for the glory of God. But I want to tell you this right now, church, we need to be praying like this. We need to be praying, God, grant your servants boldness to do what you've called us to do. That's what we should be praying. Because if we really believe the Bible and, and, and Jesus is the only one who could change a man's heart and, and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, if we really believe that and we've experienced it, just like Peter and John, then we would have the same heart, same mind. And that point number two is this. There are undeniable blessings as well as undeniable power and unity and unified prayer. There's power, undeniable power both in unity and in unified prayer. But there's also undeniable blessings. Man, when, when we are together... When we are praying the same thing, oh man, there is power that comes from it. There's power that comes from that prayer. Again, the church in a persecuted state, in a threatened state, this first church, it comes together to pray and to beg God to help them accomplish his will. Church, I want to challenge us. Let's be praying that. God, give us boldness. Give us favor. To accomplish your will. As I've said before, Acts isn't a book to form doctrine. So when we look at the book of Acts, it's not something that says these are the doctrines we find in, in, in Scripture. It's a, it, there, are doctrine, there, there is doctrine in it, but it's not necessarily a doctrinal book. It's a great history book. It's a great instruction book because of that, or a, a, a book of example. Uh, so many things that we can take from it because we learn from history. But this is how it all started for the church. This is how it started for us as Christians. We find that in the book of Acts primarily. And again, you can learn a lot from the past. It's dangerous to live in the past, to stay in the past. We can learn a lot from. That's why it's a good reference point. We see the patterns, see the examples. And this first church was a great pattern for us today. And I want to remind us why we can't be that first church or wish to be there put this on our notes, we need to remember that God has a work for us today. He's ordained our lives on earth for this time. You and I are living in 2020 through the craziness of what our world is and, 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 and America is right now. We, God, just like, he's, just like Peter in the first church were praying, God, you ordained this from before time. God ordained us to be living during this time, and he has uh, the same work for us to do now as he has always had the church on the earth for. Again, an amazing thing that we can hold to today that we do share with that first church is even though that first church probably had no idea what a Tesla was. That first church had no idea about what internet was or to Google something or YouTube it. or what it, That first church had no idea. They, they had their own struggles. They had their own distractions. They had their own hobbies. They had their own things that, that were, their world was, was a part uh, that, that was driving their world. Even though our world is different, this is what we share with them. An unchanging Savior. And an unchanging purpose. That church had the same purpose that you and I have today. 
our world looks different. Our challenges may be a little different. We have different struggles and different, distra- as I said, different distractions, different things that, that pull out our affection and our mind. But our Savior has never changed. Same, same Christ. And our purpose on this earth is the exact same as it was for them. Because of this, number three, we have a spiritual heritage that will never change because our foundation is Christ. Man, we need to stand on that. We need to remember that. Because, look, no matter what happens in our nation with this election and what happens at the end of 2020 and 2021, and no matter what happens in our world, no matter what, you and I have a citizenship in heaven. And, and, and not only that, we have a foundation that is unshakable and unchanging. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. Paul said that to the Corinthians. No other foundation can any man lay, he said, than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. There, there, that's our foundation. No matter what changes in our world, no matter how, things, how crazy things get, no matter how confused you may become, our confidence, our expectation is on Christ, the solid rock we stand. Because all other ground is seeking sand. Again, with our spiritual heritage being in Christ, eternal God, our identity, our citizenship, our purpose, our call, all are unchangeable. Soul winning, witnessing, sharing the gospel, making disciples. It doesn't go away because of the culture that we live in. Prayer doesn't go away because of the culture we live in. Church meetings don't go away because of the culture we live in or because the government says you can't do it. I'm just, that's just the truth. We have been mandated by our king to gather, to edify each other. So no matter what, that's why we have believer, we have brothers and sisters in China that are still doing it, regardless if it means that they're going to lose their life or their freedom. We have brothers and sisters in, in, in other, uh, you know, uh, extreme nations that still meet because that's their mandate from the same God that we serve. These people were under real threats. And the first place they run to after they're released their haven was in the company of believers, the family of God. These are the staples in our spiritual heritage as a church that we are to never forsake. Why? Because Christ is the same with the same cause. This first church prayed together, seeking the power of God to boldly proclaim the gospel, even in the face of trouble. 2020 church, Trinity Baptist Temple, let us ask, are we as devoted in the face of trouble, uh, in the face of no trouble as they were to the cause of Christ? We rally together. Verse 31, and I'll be done. When they had prayed, remember they were unified in unified prayer. They were together. They wanted the same thing, to boldly proclaim the gospel. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Again, as I said in the very beginning, we referenced it last week. It was the first point of last week. God answers. Listen, please hear this. God answers every time when we pray his will. He says that in his word. It's a promise. 
It's his will for us to be a witness, to share the gospel with those who are in darkness with boldness. That's God's will. And so they prayed. That's why they got their answer. That's why God blessed and the place was shaken. When we pray God's will, his word, we can have no doubt that he will answer. And so I really want God to answer this, this, this struggle I'm having in my life. I really want God's help in this issue, this decision to make. Listen, dig into his word, find his will, and start praying accordingly. And that answer will come. 100% guaranteed. I can promise you that because that's what God said. So I've tried to do that and this didn't happen. That may be your answer. You know, we saw it from last week, this boldness to share the gospel, to do God's will. We have a skewed, I think, humanistic, emotion-based idea of what it is to be spirit-filled. And I think there's been a lot of damage done even in other denominations to what it is to be spirit-filled. Clearly, in Scripture, our spiritual heritage, being in Christ, he came for one purpose. It says to seek and save the lost. That's what he said. He came preaching the good news. Jesus himself, the Bible says, was filled. He was empowered. Listen to these verses real quick. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led in the Spirit into the wilderness. Remember, to be tempted, the Spirit led him to trial. And Luke chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said, referencing the, the prophet. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover the sight to the blind. Set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus himself said, the Spirit of God empowers the sharing of the gospel. And of course, the first church, as we've seen, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking with boldness. My prayer, church, this morning is that we rally around these truths, that, that they affect our lives. That, that they don't just affect us mentally or emotionally, but they affect us to action. That we would be filled, that we would be united, that we would be a force in this world just like the first church was a force in their world. But the force came from the boldness to preach the gospel. We've got to be together. We've got to be together in prayer. And we've got to be unified in the call right now. Right now. Now is the time. Not let's see what happens to this election. Not let's see what, what our world does. No. Right now we need to say why we're still here is to point people to Christ. No matter what happens, no matter how I feel, I need to get my life focused on eternal things, and I need to start sharing the gospel with boldness. It starts with unity and prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to respond to your word, and I pray that we would do so in a way that glorifies you. And Lord, we pray that you would just move now in this invitation. Help us to uh, listen to your spirit and follow your lead. And God, I do pray that just as the first church prayed, that it would be our prayer. God, that you would grant your servants boldness to proclaim the gospel. Lord, that we, we would make a decision today. If you are our God, you are our Lord and Savior, then we will obey you rather than man, including ourselves. Lord, help us be a church that's fully devoted 
to your cause and our purpose for being here. I ask you to just bless now as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand just for a few minutes as he sings, I encourage you to come.